In the world of manufacturing, change is the only constant. How are small and medium-sized manufacturers, SMMs, to keep up with new technologies, regulations, and other important shifts, let alone leverage them to become leaders in their industries? Shifting Gears, a podcast from CMTC, highlights leaders from the modern world of manufacturing, from SMMs to consultants to industry experts. Each quarter, we go deep into topics pertinent to both operating a manufacturing firm and the industry as a whole. Join us to hear about the manufacturing sector's latest trends, groundbreaking technologies, and expert insights to help SMMs in California set themselves apart in this exciting modern world of innovation and change. I'm Greg Profesich, Director of Advanced Manufacturing Technologies at CMTC. I'd like to welcome you. In this episode, I'm joined by Buzz Thomas, Managing Consultant of Cyber Physical Security Services at CMTC. Buzz explains what ransomware is, where it comes from, and who is most at risk of an attack. Buzz also explains the most common ways ransomware hackers gain access to SMMs networks, as well as the tools available to SMMs to help them increase their level of security. Welcome, Buzz. It's great to have you here again today. Hey, Greg. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, too. Buzz, I'm really excited about our conversation today. I'm looking forward to hearing your perspectives and your insights. So let's get started. We're here to talk about ransomware. Uh, from some quick internet research I did, I saw some statistics were a bit unnerving. In 2015, global ransomware damages were estimated to be $325 million. By 2021, the number was $20 billion, predicted to reach over $42 billion by 2024. These numbers seem to indicate that the number of attacks and the size of ransoms is rising quickly. So to level set, can you give us a definition of what ransomware is so we're all starting from the same page? Yeah, sure. So ransomware is a type of malware. If you want to be technical, it's actually a virus. But it's software that's designed to take away your ability to work and to produce. And then to allow the threat actors that gave you the, the malware to extort you for money. What happens is you get this malware that they send you. Your system either stops working or you no longer have access to your data or both. And then they contact you and say, hey, if you want to get back into your computer or if you want to get back into your data, you have to pay us. So that's uh, an extortion crime using ransomware. But there's also double extortion and triple extortion. And double extortion is once you pay and you get back into your system where you have access to your data, then they say, hey, by the way, we still have your data. And if you don't want us to share it with the entire internet, you have to pay us again. And so that's the second trick. <laughs> and, and, and then if you are, if your data has references to other customers, partners, friends, family, these threat actors will then say, hey, uh, and contact those people and say, I've got your, I've got your information. And if you don't pay me, I'm going to spread that. And that's the third party or triple extortion. And the last thing I'll say is, Greg, there's uh, something we call the frequent flyer club. Once you pay ransomware, then you're in this club. And the ransomware gangs are very organized. And you get special permission. I mean, special uh, status going forward. And they know this is a payer. So you're going to get more ransomware attacks. Oh, wow. That's not a list anybody wants to be on, right? Correct. You don't want to be on that wow. list. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So we talked a little bit about it, but where exactly does ransomware come from? I mean, is it is it one group of, of bad actors somewhere in the world? Is it nation states? What are we talking about? It used to be individuals that were just trying to get money, and it kind of started in Vegas. Like, uh, casinos were getting shut down. Their websites for online gambling would get shut down. And at that time, the uh, dry doctors would ask for $20,000. And I remember when it got to $40,000 and everyone was freaking out saying, oh, wow, they want so much money, $40,000. And then they got organized. And ransomware has now become an industry. It's not individuals and it's not groups. It's an industry with different types of organizations that support it. And the amount of money that they asked for now is way more. Three years ago, it was about 120000 This year, it's 500000 just for the fee to get back in your system. And that's an average number. So I could have to pay half a million dollars to get access back to my own data and my own system. That is correct. Okay. That, I'm gonna think about that for just a second or two. That's, that's, that's a, an amazing statistic. Those details are for people and actors that are going after money. But you also have ones that are targeting for other reasons, like they want to damage an organization or a government, or they want information like through espionage. So the three motives, if you will, for ransomware is money and damage and information extraction for espionage. Wow. Okay. So this is a whole range of actors out there who can have different motives and therefore have different methods of attack, I'm assuming, and, and what they're looking for and what they're going to do with it. Yeah, and they're known for different specialties. These are very organized. Uh, you could even say companies because they are companies and they operate like companies. Wow. Okay. All right. So, so we're talking a little bit about this, these kind of payments, half a million dollars, et cetera. Sounds like a big company thing. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, big companies are, are big. They have a lot of assets, big payrolls, smaller companies, not so much. Do SMM, small and medium-sized manufacturers, really have to worry about a ransomware attack? And why Why would they have to worry about it if they do? Uh, okay, so I'm going to uh, give you some statistics. But let me start with this. There are 600 million ransomware attacks every year. So how many is that per day? That's actually 11, one every 11 seconds. So just by sheer volume, SMMs are going to be caught in that net because most of the ransomware uh, phishing hooks, the things that are sent out there are shotgun broadcasts through email, but some are more targeted and sent through USB drives and things like that. We can talk a little more about that, but they have to worry about it because there are so many. And if you look at the, uh, the statistics on who the most, uh, I was going to say customers. The, that's how the ransomware gigs look at it. Victims, victims, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but the most victims. Uh, that is the industrial goods and service sector. In other words, manufacturing. It's SMMs. Right. I have a business. I have a growing concern. I have a reason. I have to keep it uh, to keep it alive. I have to figure out how to. I have to pay this. Right. Got it. Private individuals. If you get lucky, you get somebody who has the wealth to be able to do it. But others, you know. Not so critical. I buy a new computer and start over. When it's your business system and you can't manufacture anything for a week, that's a problem. 
So yeah, there's a different motivation to respond to ransomware, I guess. And they figured that out, it sounds like. You're right. And you mentioned a week. Yeah, actually, the average time is 16 days uh, if they do everything they're supposed to and they pay. So that's 16 days of not working, not getting revenue, having your reputation hurt. Wow. Okay. If I happen to be a manufacturer and happen to be a victim of a ransomware attack, once I pay, do, am I guaranteed to get all my data back and access to my system? That's a good question, but uh, the numbers say no. So 80% of uh, industry in the U.S. is being hit with ransomware attacks right now. And the more that happens, the higher the payments are going for this. And so it's going to get more and more dangerous for our economy. Of the ones that pay, and that's just about 80%, 78% pay, of those, 68% get their business uh, back up and operating. So there's about 30-something percent that pay and get nothing. And it's not cheap. You're paying a lot. And of those uh, 68% that get their business back operating, uh, a third of those don't get all their data back or the data that comes back is corrupted. So 80% pay, 68% of the 80% get their data back, but only 66% of the 68% of the 88% of the 80% get all of their data back uncorrupted. You got it. So 80, 68% of 80. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty small number pretty quickly there, huh? Yeah. You're, you're in the 50% range of people that pay and get their stuff back like it was. So it's kind of unnerving kind of statistic. All right. So, so this is, this is the danger. This is what can happen to me if my manufacturing firm happens to be one of the ones that shotgunned. How does ransomware get into my system in the first place? What, what are the risks? How, how does it typically happen? The majority come in through uh, phishing smishing. And in other words, crafty emails and text messages that only take a single click to get your systems infected or have you redirected to a social engineering scheme. So, so the emails I get the, when I mouse over the, the from address and it's something different than the name there and there's something to click on there, that's the way it could happen. Yeah, that's one of the things you could see. There are a lot of ways to spot phishing, and there's a lot of ways for them to trick you into uh, going, going ahead and trusting them. But the, the top two are phishing and smishing, but there's also the social engineering, uh, phone calls, and, uh, you know, kind of like the car warranty phone calls, but for malicious reasons, not just uh, getting you to pay getting access to your accounts and things like that, identity theft. But there's a new one, and you may have heard about this. You're charting stations in airports are reflecting this, but so charging stations have been compromised. And actually, China has been putting out charging cables that themselves, nothing else around, they can compromise you. Because when you plug them in, they get powered and they have code embedded in the cable and then it can beacon out and compromise your system so now hardware and software are threats okay i hadn't heard about the cables one i came across from our cybersecurity practice some information about like you know never use the the, the free wi-fi at the hotel oh yeah 
yeah, there, there was the story of, you know, the convention was going to be at the ABC Hotel. I won't mention the name. And it was a bunch of financial executives. So six months before, they hacked it and put a Trojan in. And then everybody, when they put in their last name and their room number and got access, it downloaded the Trojan. And then a few months later, it, you know, copied your hard drive and sent it all. And a bunch of CFOs and folks like that had been there at the financial conference. And of course, you know, all the M&A activity, everything is now open for, you're open for sale. Right. Yeah. And, and, right. And, and fantastic money making opportunities. Right. I don't have to. I don't have to hack you. I just know you're about to buy something, so I buy stock in the company you're going to buy, or you're selling something. Yeah. I, I I can longer short things like that. So there's all kind. I knew about that kind of thing, but charging stations I'd kind of heard a little bit about, but even the cables now. Even the cables. Yeah, I actually wow. bought and I kept it to to show people how it work. Uh, how it works. I got it at an airport in New Jersey, so these things are kind of everywhere. Wow. Wow. Okay. So a lot of small businesses may not have the resources to make ransomware and cyber threats a priority. Are there tools that are available to them that can help them increase their level of security? I mean, they may not have a dedicated IT department, right? So they don't have the resources in that way. Uh, and, and they're doing the best they can, but what are some simple practical things they can do? All right. This is uh, resources is a constraint and tools is a constraint. Let me let me start with some statistics on the resources question. They don't have the resources. Uh, when there's ransomware, I told you that you may have to pay up to $500,000 to give yourself unlocked. But the largest part of the cost of ransomware isn't the fee. It's lost business, which will be more than 500000 So on resources, there's your opportunity cost. Uh, so 80% of our, of our businesses are getting hit with these. And uh, the majority of these, uh, when they have had forensics done, they found that these are done through organized ransomware gangs. It's, this is the organized crime on the internet. So it's very intent, uh, high-skilled mercenaries that are targeting manufacturing. Uh, and it's very high-cost manufacturing when when it's successful so 75 percent uh 75 percent according to CyberCatch, this is where i got this statistic says that 75 percent of all small and medium businesses will be forced to close their doors if they get ransomware right so i'm saying this because if you don't find the resources and you try to operate a business without protecting yourself this is like going to Vegas and just trying to gamble the money because 80% are getting hit and 75% of those that are small and medium have to close their doors. So if they don't have the resources, they need to get the resources or scale back what they're trying to do so that they can protect what they are doing. That's just the, the scary part of it. Now on the tool side, and this is where the good news starts. So there's things like the Center for Internet Security, CIS, uh, CI and the word security.org. Uh, they have guidelines that are free, that are there to educate you and give you solid things that you can use to secure your business, harden your systems and things like that. There is also standards like the NIST 800-D3, 800-171, which is very popular with the SMMs in manufacturing. And then there's one called the... Uh, CSET, Ransomware Readiness Assessment. 
the RRA. Okay, so there's a number of tools I can get out there. I imagine the things from NIST are free and publicly available, right? Because they're government sponsored. Uh, how about the CSED itself? The CSED is also free. Okay. Uh, also from the government. It's published by, um, well, through DHS by CISA, C I S A. So the CSET uh, ransomware readiness assessment, it's, they, that was, um, that's been made available when it's free from DHS and CISA. And DHS, of course, is Department of Homeland Security. And CISA is what, Buzz? The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Ah, okay. So that's part of the that's department within DHS or something like that? That is correct. All right. So it, it, say I download the, the, the CSET uh, ransomware readiness assessment. And what does CSET stand for, by the way? CSET stands for the Cybersecurity Evaluation Tool. So I, I download my Cybersecurity uh, Evaluation Tool ransomware readiness assessment. And, and once I have that, I can identify, I can start identifying vulnerabilities or how does that work? What, what, what are the practical steps that I would be experiencing once I download that or get that information? So this is a, a good question and it kind of begs another question of how is it different from the other options? Because it is. Uh, you've got the things from CIS and NIST that I mentioned, which are guidelines and standards, but the ransomware readiness assessment tool is actually a tool that guides you through finding out what's wrong with your security in your environment, and then telling you explicitly what you need to do and the order in which you need to do it in order to be secure and ready for ransomware attacks. So it'll tell me where I'm vulnerable and then tell me the order of tasks I need to do to, to harden my systems to get to a higher level of security. That's right. And another difference about this tool is that it doesn't do it in the techno security speak that the NIST publications use or CIS or any of the security organizations. It translates things into plain common English. And not in a way where you lose meaning. It actually shows you the formal NIST verbiage to say, here's what the control requirement is that you're trying to meet. And then it breaks that out into a basically a short novel so that you, as a business owner, not a cybersecurity person, you understand what's happening. This tool, ransomware readiness assessment tool, it puts things into 10 different areas. They call them security practice areas. And they, then they cut those into three areas of criticality. So there, there's the basic ones, and then intermediate and advanced. And basic doesn't mean less important. It actually means more important. So for example, basic has, how do you do backup and recovery so that if you get ransomware, you're not dead in the water. And that's the, the very first of these security practices it asks you to implement. And then it tells you uh, through question and answer, what's wrong with your systems and then the order in which you should uh, implement or correct. And of course, it starts with basic first, then intermediate, then advanced. So I'm hearing you say that if I was to take the CSET uh, RRA, the you know, Ransomware Readiness Assessment, and complete it, that I would end up with uh, a list of precautions I should take and in the order that I would take them. And that would that get me across those three levels from basic to intermediate to advanced if I did all of them? Or how, how does that structure, how does that work? Yeah, so it's, it asks you 48 questions. 
And as you go through and you get the answer, because you're not going to know if you're answering honestly, you're not going to know exactly the answer to these questions uh, because they're compound, complex uh, questions. Uh, it won't just say, do you have the ability to back up? It will say, like, do you have the ability to back up and then restore? And can you do it within 30 days? Do you have 30 days of rolling data available? And do you have things off-site and is it encrypted off-site? It's very heavy statements. So when you go and you find the answers, you go find the answers to these questions. At the end of it, you have a very clear picture, but because this tool is nice, very colorful graphics and clear um, charts and pictures, you have a, a really clear picture of what's wrong. You haven't fixed anything. Uh, at this point, you've only done the assessment, but the assessment will then give you reports on like, what are your next steps? What is your plan going forward? And while you may not have enough money uh, or want to spend enough money to bring in an expert to go and look at everything and evaluate it and come and tell you what's wrong, if you use this tool, that's gone. If you need an expert, you just go to that expert with the results of this tool and say, this is all I need. I know exactly what I need. It's right here. I'm paying you for consulting, for discovery. I'm not asking you to hang out and you know, just bill me for whatever. This is what I want. And then you get the quotes based on that. It puts you way further ahead. So, okay. So, Buzz, I hear you saying that the CSET ransomware readiness assessment is a great tool because it's going to allow me to go through and answer some questions. Not easily answer questions, obviously. I'm going to have to really do some research. But when I put in accurate answers to those questions, it's going to give me a plan of attack. It's going to give me an action plan to move forward. And at that point, I don't need to bring in a consultant to try to survey and assess things, what I can do at that point is then hire a, hire somebody with the technical skills necessary to do the particular thing that, that the RRA, the ransomware readiness assessment, is recommending. Is, is that what it gets me to? That is correct. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so that's a preventative thing. I uh, I, I, I take the, I take the initiative. I get out there in front of it. I, I go through the ransomware readiness assessment and implement start implementing those things. Uh, what happens if I get caught before I'm done or before I get started? Uh, you know, say an SMM is hit with a ransomware attack. What do they do next? Is it best to pay the ransom, get your business up, back up and running? What, what, I mean, what do I do once it's once it's here, once it's real? Yeah, keeping in mind the statistics we've been talking about, if you get hit with ransomware and you haven't done this, to be honest, it might be too late. It's possible that it's too late. If you don't have a way to back up and to restore the things that you've lost, you don't have this resiliency built in and you're having to pay these huge fees and lose oh, three weeks of revenue generating time just to try to get through this, even if you do have the money, we don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what to say there. I will say that the government generally says if you have ransomware attacks, don't pay because it encourages more ransomware but the government itself pays. So it doesn't <laughs> to listen to that because if you have the money and you have to get back to work, you may only have the option to pay. And at that point, you are kind of gambling, hoping for the best. It's better to use that money in advance. Go through the ransomware readiness assessment. It's the cheapest, fastest way to get to some resiliency so you can survive. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you get hit, and I shouldn't say if because 80%, I should say when you get hit, if you prepare, you'll make it through. And even if it's scarred, you'll make it through. 
you could end up with some scars, but you're going to have a much better chance of rising coming out the other side without having anything that's an existential threat to your organization. That's right. That's what I hear you saying. Okay. Okay. So um, is ransomware unique to in information technology systems or are there also operations technologies that are that are vulnerable, right? So, I mean, I IT, servers, computers, software, uh, desktop stuff, uh, OT, uh, CNC machines, lathes, uh, automation, those kind of things. Yeah, it is uh, not unique to IT anymore, but it is well established in IT. Uh, in terms of OT, the kinds of things you mentioned uh, add to that critical infrastructure component, utilities, SCADA, things like that. Uh, those things are just now coming to the attention of the ransomware gangs. And I don't even like calling them gangs anymore because it's more like business uh, to the ransomware business, right? So we're starting to see even new products come out through, not on the market yet, but through investment activities. We see people investing in products designed to protect OT from these kinds of attacks. Uh, if we're talking about like water systems, water protection systems, utilities, uh, that's going to be a huge problem if ransomware gets there. We already see ransomware hitting uh, medical and some critical infrastructure, power grids, and things like that. Okay, so it, 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 as a volume manufacturer, I have to worry about not just my IT systems, but my shop floor as well. It's it's possible I could walk in one day and my critical piece of machinery could have, have the skull and crossbones on the screen. That is possible. So there's best practice in setting up your network where you have network spurs that are isolated from others for certain purposes. And if you're following the guidelines for uh, DFARS uh, and, and CUI, controlled and classified information, then you're going to have to have a network that is segmented and protected at the various levels so that that doesn't happen so easily. But it could happen. And even if you follow all that advice and someone picks up a USB drive in the parking lot and plugs it in in your shop, you may still have the problem. So, so, yeah, the USB drive has always been the threat. Now, it, it, it plays on our curiosity, right? If somebody writes payroll on the, the flash drive and drops it in, in the, in the uh, parking lot, what's the chance that somebody doesn't want to know what the CEO makes, right? There you go. So they're going to plug it in and try to find it out. You, you're right. And now take the same con concept and go, oh, I found a charging cable that's still in the bag. It's brand new. I can use that, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. Right. Okay. And then you mentioned DFARS a moment ago. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, it's Defense Federal Acquisition Regulations Standards? Yeah, or... that's right. So many of the people that are servicing DOD, uh, they have to comply with the acquisition uh, rules for DOD, so DFARS. Uh, specifically, there's one called the 7012 rule set. That requires them to follow uh, the NIST guideline, more numbers, the 800-171 guideline. And most people within the defense uh, industrial base would have already been exposed to this because it's been being rolled out for a couple of years, if I remember correctly. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And now all DOD contracts are coming out with the language in it, specifying that those things have to be met. That wasn't the case until this year. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So, so when we... Talk a little bit about, we were talking about operations technologies a moment ago. Uh, what are some of the trends you're seeing in terms of threats uh, on different operational technologies? You mentioned some of the infrastructure stuff and SCADA and those kind of things. Let's go into that a little more detail. 
Yeah, well, across the board for ransomware, some of the trends are that the ransoms themselves are going up, and now uh, executives are being laid off uh, as a result of ransomware attacks. Uh, you're also having uh, implications, not implications, but side effects from your insurance. When your insurance, uh, cyber insurance, doesn't cover ransomware, or maybe even in cases where it does, but you didn't do something that you should have to protect it, you know, insurance getting in the mix of this is on the rise. Uh, ransomware, uh, as a as a general practice, is also growing. I would say maturing as a business process globally as well. That's another trend. And then uh, operational technologies, you know, the trend there, because it's so new, is that things are starting to happen in that space. And while it started with medical devices, I mean, I think the first one was heart monitors that I ever heard about in hospitals. But uh, in OT, I also include like industrial IoT, so IIoT as well as OT and stuff like that. So heart monitors, medical things, and then we started seeing things in power grids and water treatment facilities. And I think that that trend is just going to keep growing. The good news for SMMs, I think, in that space is that they're aging the shop machines. You know, don't have a huge revenue impact for most of these actors. So there's not going to be a lot of things written to take advantage of those unless they're processing information that the adversary wants. And uh, you can bet that if a nation, a state actor, is interested in a technology uh, that you're working on, they will buy all the stuff that you have and replicate your lab and, and try to get the code, the code instructions for your, your machine shop so that they can replicate what you're doing. And they will be trying to steal things that to you don't even look like controlled, unclassified information. They just look, look like machine instructions. But to them, they know what they're looking for. So if you happen to be on the end of a targeted attack, OT is going to be your enemy. But for the broad shotgun things that we see, most of the, the, like the globe, shot floors are going to be low priority for a while. So if I'm making a consumer product that uh, is not tied in some way to the defense industrial base, lower probability my OT gets attacked is what I hear you saying. If I'm making parts for the new, you know, for, for a fighter plane or for a new bomber, um, much more high pro higher likelihood that there'd be something coming targeted to me to try to either get the data from me uh, off of my mic equipment or my systems or to get a, a way into uh, the OEM. Yeah, and that's right. Uh, in fact, if you look at the industries across the board in manufacturing, uh, the different segments, you'll see on one end of the spectrum, the DOD itself has the fewest number of successful ransom attacks of anyone. And then manufacturing has the highest number of successful ransomware attacks of anyone. But the connection is DOD's supply base is made up 99% by that group, the small and medium manufacturers. That's the supply base for DOD. So DOD looks like they're not being victimized because successful ransomware attacks are so minimal. But their suppliers, where all their contracts and their designs and their supplies 
they are leaking like sieves. So DOD is hurting from this. Well, that's not a very comforting statistic or thing to think about. I'm with you. So, Buzz, you mentioned a few minutes ago that you know the, the charger cable even now can be something that has code in it that can be that can make you uh, susceptible to a ransomware attack or a victim of a ransomware attack. How do I know? You know, if I have to go buy a flash drive to move information between two of my old legacy machines uh, and the controllers on them, or if I have to get a new charging cable or any kind of piece of hardware, potentially anything is is, is now a threat surface or, or a place an attack could come from. How do I know what's safe? Another great question. So this one is a little tricky though. There are ways to find out. And um, one of the ways is by pairing new with old. But what I mean by that is if you have a new cable and it's compromised and you don't know it and you plug it into something that's new, it will likely be designed, if it's malicious, designed to take advantage of those new things in a way that you won't notice. Uh, but if you have like an old iPhone 5, iPhone 7 or something like that, uh, and you plug that malicious one into that old phone, then many times you will see things happening like screens uh, flashing or windows opening and closing and things that you wouldn't expect. Any kind of weird behavior will give you a clue. But the, the real way to find this out uh, is uh, called sniffing. Tools like a Wireshark. You simply put Wireshark on the same network that you're plugging this USB cord into, and then it shows you all the traffic that's going back and forth between the devices. And then you can see any of the new or weird traffic that's coming from your, your cable. Okay, so I have to have an IT tool to monitor the traffic from installed hardware and then I have to be able to identify and recognize the anomaly, the stuff that's not part of the normal stream? That's right. It's not an, It's not for everyone, but if you have some skills, you have a tool like Wireshark, uh, you have a tool like uh, Bro, which uh, will help you understand what you're seeing on Wireshark, then you can see the traffic and know what's going on. Okay, when I was talking about Wireshark, I also mentioned a tool called Bro, which is a network security monitor. I just wanted to say that it's been uh, renamed to Z-E-E-K. Okay, so it sounds like a technical thing. You have to have some technical background. I have to be kind of tech savvy to be able to do that. Yeah, but always be on guard for anything that looks weird when you use that cable. Okay, but if, if it looks weird, is it already too late? Uh, for that device... Yeah, if you plugged it into your phone and it's acting weird, it's too late. But then you know, uh, wipe that phone, restore it from your backup or from your cloud backup, whatever you have, and then take that cable and do something with it, like the trash. Okay, so a couple more questions that we wanted to get through before we wrap up. Next question here, second to last. Uh, what advice would you give to a small manufacturer who wants to implement better cybersecurity who might feel overwhelmed and not know where to start? That's kind of an easy one. I mean, you, you've heard me talk about the RRA, RRA and probably with some enthusiasm. I really think that is the best first move that any small business can do, medium. Uh, and in fact, even a business that is well-established in their security practices, if they want to take a snapshot and see where do you really stand versus where you think you stand, use this tool, the Ransomware Readiness Assessment, because you will know very quickly 
if you have enough security capabilities to survive a ransomware event. And if you can survive ransomware, there's very little on the cybersecurity space you have to worry about. There's some things, but very little. So that's what I would say. First up, RRA. Okay. And so ransomware is the number one way that companies get hacked? Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, it's the largest share. It's the number one way companies get damaged. And it's also still the fastest growing. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, Buzz, thank you for joining me today and for sharing your perspectives, insights, and expertise with me and with our listeners. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me here. And to our listeners, thank you for joining me for this conversation with Buzz Thomas on ransomware and the ransomware readiness tool. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to Shifting Gears, a podcast from CNTC. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and post it on your social media platforms. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast directory. For more information on our topic, please visit www.cmtc.com slash shifting gears. CMTC is a private nonprofit organization that provides technical assistance, workforce development, and consulting services to small and medium-sized manufacturers throughout the state of California. CMTC's mission is to serve as a trusted advisor, providing solutions that increase the productivity and competitiveness of California's manufacturers. CMTC operates under a cooperative agreement for the state of California with the Hollings Manufacturing Extension Partnership Program, MEP, at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology within the Department of Commerce. For more information about CMTC, please visit www.cmtc.com. For more information about the MEP National Network or to find your local MEP center, visit www.nist.gov forward slash MEP.